What's up, principals? And welcome to the Principal Crew Podcast. My name is Adam. Welcome. I am a principal. I'm your host. And as you know, this is the podcast that is all about principles all of the time, because that's just what we do. And I don't know about you, but we are coming up on the 60 episode mark. We've been pumping out a lot of content. I've been doing three episodes a week. I'm going to start slowing it down a little bit to one episode a week, going a little bit deeper, maybe a little bit longer so people can really digest the content. And uh, who knows, maybe we'll do some of those seven episodes in seven days like I've been doing. But Today on the show, we have a treat. This is somebody from my PLN, my professional learning network that I've been connected with for, for years and years. I'm going to say at least five years. We, we've spoke on the phone. We've been DMing on Twitter for a long time. And uh, she's kind of come back into my circles, elementary principal from Virginia, Tawana Giles. Welcome to the podcast, my friend. Thank you, Adam. It's so great to be here. Congratulations on all the work you're doing for kids. I'm excited. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And if you can't tell, she has such a huge smile <laughs> on her face. And that's just the energy that that you bring to, I, I think, everything that you do, everything that I see that you're putting out. But Tawana, for the people that don't know who you are, introduce yourself, tell us who you are, what you do, just kind of give us the lowdown. Absolutely. So I have been in education for over 22 years. I am a principal in the city of Richmond, place that I love, serving a, a community that I love. Um, and again, I'm Dr. Tawana Giles. Um, love the work that we're doing here. Always, always putting kids first. If we put kids first, we will have no problems. And um, I think that that is where my success stemmed from. That's my passion. That's my love. And that's how I try to motivate and lift up everyone in my circle, Adam. Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. So people always ask, like, how did you get to where you are? How did you get that first leadership job? Or how did you get your first principalship? So how did you get here where you are? What were some of the, maybe what were some of the, like the, like, like, like the big moments, the big pillars, the big, the big things that you think were pivotal in, in getting you where you are today? I would say just making sure, Adam, that we don't look at the work that we do as a job. And that was that was my um, because there were hurdles. There were there were hurdles. There were people that didn't necessarily believe in me or didn't think that I was quite ready. And I just kept doing the work. Every time someone told me, I don't think it's your time. I just kind of kept doing the work. Well, let me go back and reflect. Let me keep working. And I continued to work, continue to do professional development at my school level and in my district level. And those things are important because you grow and people communicate with you. And they give you feedback and you take that feedback and you continue to grow. People see you. And so there was someone that did see me doing a professional development and said, hey, I need you to come and interview in my district. Um, and that started my journey, Adam. And it definitely helps when people believe in you and see your work. I think that's critical. So you were in one district and somebody from somewhere else saw you and kind of like said, hey, come on over and let's see what we can do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think that is such a great example. Uh, I don't know about you, but I talk to a lot of people that they've, uh, I've taught here, I've been an instructional coach here, I've been an assistant principal here, and they don't feel like they could go anywhere else. They feel like leaving that district would like be a divorce and it would just, it would be so hard for them. And I always tell people, hey, if a door opens somewhere else, go walk through that door. What was that like for you 
or what advice could you give people that that probably just feel comfortable where they are because they know the people, they know the systems, they know everybody. What kind of growth happened or what advice when you went to another place? I often say to people, my teachers, anyone that's trying to move up the ladder or looking for another job, I often say, what is it that you want to do? What is it if you want to be an assistant principal, you want to be a principal, a director, a chief academic officer or a superintendent, if that's what you want to do, is that place here for you? Because if it's not, you want to serve kids, go serve your kids. And we kind of just draw that circle on a piece of paper, Adam, look, where will you serve kids? Is this the only place that you can serve kids? And if it's not, widen, widen your circle, widen your circle, be prepared to go. And, and you just have to set yourself and be ready because that was a piece for me that I didn't think about either, Adam. I said to myself, hey, this is where I live. This is where I've been working. And I wanna stay right here because it's my comfort zone. Now we don't often use those words, but that is what it comes down to, Adam. It's your comfort zone. Come out of your comfort zone, experience and broaden your circle and serve. And I always come back and give, um, especially educators, the example of superintendents. Superintendents have to move because it's only one job there. Don't set yourself that this is the only place where you can serve and serve well and at a high level. So it's important to really unpack that for our educators to let them know that there are places that will value your expertise. Yeah, no, that's a really good point about superintendents. You know, teachers can stay for 30 years, 40 year career, uh, and superintendents have to move. And I always say there's no growth in the comfort zone. You, you got to make yourself uncomfortable. I mean, I think teachers should change grade levels every 10 years, or even principals should change schools every five, 10 years. Uh, some kind of some shakeup that uh, is a uh, is important. So, so you're the principal at George G.W. Carver, George Washington Carver. And for people that don't know history, uh, George Washington Carver, he was an American like scientist. I think agriculture. He, I think, like developed cotton crops and some kind of alternative. Like he's a very he's a well known um, big history there. So shout out to uh, G.W. Carver. Early, I think, early 20th century, um, and. I always feel like you can you can be on a school campus for 15 minutes and you can feel the culture of the school by by being in the front office by walking walking the halls. If somebody was to come to GW Carver and um and walk around, what would they see? What would they feel? What what kind of what comes out of of the hallways of your school? It is family. We are so connected, even in this virtual world. Um, George Washington Carver also grew peanuts. Yes, yes, yes. And so we are the home of the peanuts. We are Carver. I love that. The home Absolutely. of the peanuts. Yes, we are. And everyone that is in the Richmond area will tell you that if they see anyone from Carver, they're going to tell you two things. You're a part of Carver Nation where they're the home of the peanuts. And it's all about family. And when you're all about family, you care so much. And, and so that is, um, I think, a big piece of our success in building the culture is making sure that everyone understand that we are one together, that that family atmosphere is real. We know all, I know all of the kids in my building. Many of my teachers know all of the kids in my building. I know most of the community. Most of the community in RPS knows me. And that is that atmosphere that we want to continue to project.
that it's about family. And that's why we say Carvination. It's just not a cute slogan. It means that if you are part of George Washington Carver, you are part of that Carvination, whether you're in business, if you're in education, if you're in the medical field, if you're in the technology field, if you come into Carver, you're a part of Carvination and you um, represent our values. And that is huge. And we've had so much community support as a result. So those, yeah. that's what you would feel. You would see that with our kids, with our teachers and with our community. Yeah, I love that. I was talking to somebody actually yesterday. I was an interviewee on somebody else's podcast and we were talking about that school community and all that feel. And I feel like I feel like it's so important to bring in the community and bring in businesses and, and families and neighbors and any kind of organizations to help really push in and bring the the mission because it can't just be the school building. It's got to really be the community. So I feel that the interview process, how I've experienced it and still experience it is is old, it's outdated, it's really a kind of a failed process. We have 10, 15 questions on a piece of paper and we ask those questions. And I feel like a lot of the questions is like, tell us why you're qualified to be here and how would you handle student discipline? I'm always looking for that one or that two, those two questions that really get, get to know the candidate in a different way that really kind of get them to stop and think in a different way. And maybe it's not even related to education. It gets to know the person. So do you have a favorite interview question or scenario or something that you do at GW that, that you really feel gets to know that person in a different way? Adam, you're going to kill me for this, but I don't. I have conversations with my candidates and my teachers and my coaches come on board and they often say, do you have the questions? And I said, no, we're going to have a conversation. We're going to have a conversation. Of course, I always ask candidates, um, make sure I can pronounce their name, of course, because that's so important, but also give me your educational and your professional background. And folks often say, what, how far do you want me to go? Just talk to me. Just talk to me. I want to know who you are. And then we have conversations. We talk about education. We talk about what they believe in, their values. Because if I know your value, I can determine if you are a good fit for our school. And that is so important to me. So we have conversations when you come to the table to interview with me. I tell you about Carver and I tell you about our values and our vision. And then I want to hear the same from that candidate to see if they're a good fit for our school. And, and the biggest thing, Adam, is I tell them we work hard at Carver. You come into Carver, you have to be prepared to work hard because we're like any no other school in the city of Richmond. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you on those conversations. You know, I mean, questions are important but getting to know the person is a uh, is is super important because you want to see are they going to be a good fit and i always tell people i always tell principals make sure you hire up every person you hire should make your organization better and i i think i've seen a lot of people hire safe and safe doesn't get you better. Safe doesn't get your students what they need. It doesn't get you the challenges challenges that your colleagues need and, and your district needs. So what piece to the puzzle do you need to make that a little bit better? So I want to um, switch to, you said something earlier about somebody saw something in you and they brought you to a new district. And I, I think a lot about that with like mentors and, and mentorship. What role has have, have mentors played in, in your career? And I ask you that because 
I feel people that are, I feel people that are like mid-career and like veteran principals tend to not have the mentors in their life. And I know myself, I'm in my 11th year of school administration. I have to really say, okay, am I building my mentors? Who are the people that I'm reaching out to that I've, that I've had relationships with for a long time? Because you know I need to continue to learn and grow. You need to continue to learn and grow. So what advice would you have to people that are listening um, about getting mentors, building mentors, and then also being a mentor themselves? Because when you can mentor the next the next generation of leaders, you learn and you reflect in, uh, in different ways. That is awesome. And I, I, when I was working on my doctorate, that was a part of my research. And it is important. Um, again, this is my 22nd year in education. This is my sixth year in educational leadership. Prior to becoming an educator, I was in the military and I was also a leader there as well. But is it, it is important to have a mentor at every level. And mentors look different nowadays, Adam. You're a mentor to me. You kind of set the stage. And when you just stay in contact and you kind of watch people, you observe, you ask questions. That is getting good mentorship about people who are doing the things you would like to do or in the places you would like to be. Also have a strong network, a network of people that you can count on, that you can talk to when things are not going well, when, you, when you're trying to make tough decisions that you can run stuff off of that people understand. And more importantly, this PLN. Social media is huge nowadays. So it's important to have a strong PLN that I'm able to reach out to anyone across the country and get good feedback, whether they're principals, um, superintendents, have a strong PLN, people that you can count on. It is critical that where you want to be, you are able to look at people who are sitting in that role and gather their feedback. Doesn't matter how many years you have in that field. It is important to build with people that you trust. Um, and, and mentorship looks different nowadays. It's not, hey, let's meet weekly, let's talk about it. It can be, but mentorship is what you need. Make sure that, and I believe that everyone should have it. I, I think that is critical. Um, and and just so happens, I'm in a I'm in a group um, that I had that I, um, prior mentors. One used to be my professor. Um, um, so I have some superintendents. I have those, and we talk. We talk at least once a month. Just how's it going? What's on your mind? Those things make a difference in your growth. And so I think that is very very important, Adam. Yeah. So disclaimer to what Tawana said, like that, I, I watch people. I love, I'm laughing. You know, I think I'm glad that you said that because I want people to hear that I, I care about other people and I care about other leaders. And that is, it's like checking in and touching base. And uh, yes, I'm doing that hopefully for other people's benefit, but also for myself too, because, hey, I'm learning from you right now from conversations and I'm gonna continue to, to learn from you and from other people and everybody listening, when you can give back and you can help cultivate that next, um, that next crop, if we're gonna use some analogies to GW Carver, the peanut farmer and soil scientist, we're gonna cultivate that next crop of, of leaders and people, it's going to make them better. It's going to make us better. It's just going to make education on a, on a whole better. And it's just, uh, it's just fun to build those networks. It, it, it really is. So uh, Tawana, what is your favorite leadership book that you've read or maybe book that you recommend to, to other leaders that they read? 
my favorite leadership book, Change on Any Given Day. Right now, where we are is, and where my school is located, where my, what, what we're doing is in my school would be leaders of their own learning. I think that is a powerful book. It touches on all of the pieces that we need in George Washington Carver. And so, of course, I love, love, love that. Um, when I first became a principal, I bought my entire staff. Um, kids deserve it because I wanted to make sure that we set that foundation. They, they understood where I was coming from when I said children's, children first, because if we do our job with children first, we're going to understand the why in our work. Um, we're not going to look for the easy way out. We're not, we'll do the hard work. And so um, that is definitely one of my favorites. I love Culturize because it talks about building a culture and what it takes to build a culture and holding each other accountable, not just the principal holding teachers accountable, but teachers holding teachers accountable and teachers holding the principal accountable. And so I love those books that um, are meaningful. And I just look for nuggets. Um, be, be well read and look for nuggets that matter to you and then share them out. Um, I participate in several book clubs for that reason, because I love hearing different perspectives. Yeah, no, those are all, those are all great books. Um, do you have a, so I didn't know that you were a previous uh, military. Do you have a military leadership book? Cause it's interesting. I'm glad you said that. So I make that connection because I read a lot of military leadership books and military history books i feel there are i feel there are so many things that educators educational leaders can learn from that military type leadership do you have one or if you don't have one do you have an experience from your military career from a leadership standpoint that you think translates well to school leadership I do, and I'll tell you, as I look at books, because I'm a reader, I love leadership management books, those styles, like the Toyota Way. I love all of those books. I don't just read educational books. I read leadership books. But I do love Turning the Ship Around, um, and that is written by a general. And I do love that book because it talks a lot about um, being in there, in the, in the trenches with your people. And that piece is so important to me. Um, and so I, I, I do think that um, being well read is really, really, really important. Um, and one of the stories I'll tell you is my experience in the military. I was at Fort Hood, which is the largest um, military base in the world. Um, and as a young soldier, um, running was not my forte. I played sports, but um, the military is all about fitness. And I recall going to a very tough, tough unit. And um, I, I, we had about 60 people in my unit and there was one other female, myself and another female. And then all the guys looked at me and said, look, we pride ourselves on being number one in the physical fitness area, so don't hold us down. And I, I was like, okay guys, so we did PT twice. We did PT twice a day in the Texas heat. When I say Texas heat, sometimes it's over 100 degrees, but we're running. And those things help build my um, tenacity, help build my, um, what I call thick skin, because we understood that, hey, we're going to do this work together and we're going to hold you to a high standard. And I live by that. And as a result of that, I think I became like the battalion soldier of the quarter with over 5,000 soldiers that, that consisted of 80 plus percent male. And so those things resonate and they build character. And so I always say the military gave me my foundation. Yeah, put in the work. I think that translates to anything that you do. So I, I want to know, 
how are you leading your school in a sustainable way? I'll tell you, I see, and I talk to a lot of people, uh, leaders that I feel, and I'm not going to give any specific examples, I feel are doing things at their school that aren't sustainable. You, you can do them for two years, maybe three years, but they're not going to be able to sustain them because they just take so much time and effort and energy and money. And it's, it's more of the, uh, of like the entertainment of education and not the engagement of education. And I, I worry that a lot of leaders aren't leading sustainably where they can do what they're doing for the next 10 years without burning out, getting exhausted, working 70 hours a week, going in on the weekends, because they have to constantly find that new thing to entertain and and not engage. So how are you leading sustainably, where you have a life, you have a family, you have book clubs and friends, but you also obviously focus on your on your work at, at GW Carver? Very good question. I love that. So and it's two parts. So um, definitely build the capacity of the people around you. Hire up, as you talked about, and making sure you build leaders. Um, I have a phenomenal leadership team that I literally, you guys got to run this. We share the vision. When, when I brought that leadership team on, we met every day because we, I wanted them to be able to finish my sentence. It was important. It was critical that they understood the vision and that this is the work. And so we have people that are over certain parts of the program, but you know that we're all working together. Um, and it was really funny that one day we had a um, project that we had to do in the building and I couldn't make it. And I was supposed to be there, but I couldn't make it. And when we did our follow-up, my leadership team said, you know, uh, Dr. Giles, we did this. Um, we made this happen and you weren't there. And I said, guys, that is what we want. We want you to be able to run this school without me being present. And you just showed me that you could. So I think that is important is to build leaders and trust them, trust them to do the work. So my math person is completely in charge of my math program. I support her 100%. Do you need me to be there with you? What are your questions? We meet before, we meet after. But this is your program. You have to handle the challenging. You have to handle the pushback. And um, you have to do it with love. One of the things my superintendent, um, one of our themes this year is leading with love. And I didn't understand it until we really started doing the work. Um, and that means you have to have say far more yes than you say no. You have to give everyone the benefit of the doubt. You have to continuously lift them up. And so one way to sustain a school is to really build the capacity of the teachers because they are the ones that's doing the work. So you build the capacity of the teachers, you give them confidence, you build the capacity of your leadership team, you give them confidence, and then you move out of the way and you allow them to do the work. And you provide the feedback, you provide the guidance. Hey, you did all of these things, great, keep it up. What are your thoughts? What do you think you can improve in? Keep growing. So I think that's how you sustain the work, Adam, because otherwise you cannot, you cannot do it with just the principal and the assistant principal. So it is very, very important to build strong, competent and effective leaders. Yeah, if you think you can do it all by yourself, you're, you're wrong and you will not be sustainable. You will be exhausted. You, uh, you won't be able to de develop friendships in your personal life just because 
uh, one person should not do it all. We need all of those voices coming into coming into the conversation. So let's talk about equity. Um, equity is something that I hear all the time. Equity is something that has been important, is important. When when we talk about equity as a principle, Tawana, what do you think about? And then because I talk to a lot of people and there's kind of different pockets and they say, well, this and well, that. Uh, a friend of mine, How uh, Dr. Howard Fields uh, out of St. Louis um, has written a lot about equity, has a new book coming out that I'm excited uh, for people to get their hands on. But when I say equity in, in relation to education and in schools, what do you think about? And then what do you, what are you doing at your school to think about, to ensure equity? Um, just, I mean, across the board, like what, what comes to mind? Opportunity, having opportunities to engage. Um, I, when I think about my population, I think about my families being under-resourced um, and undervalued at times. And so it's giving them the opportunity, making sure that they have opportunity to engage in technology, making sure that they have opportunities to, to, ex to experience the resources. Um, so that piece is very, very important to me. And I feel like as a principal, it is my job to advocate for the community and the families that I serve. And so as I think about equity, I make sure that my families have the opportunities to be successful, whether it's competing on the job market, making sure that the education that we provide is top tier, that we have the tools and the resources. It's not just to say we have great teachers. My teachers need the supports in place to provide the extra resources that is needed to serve a community and a population like mine. And so that piece is important, is making sure my families have the right resources and the best opportunities for success. Um, yeah, no. When we think about equity, we always think about housing, which is very, very important. Um, um, jobs, which is very, very important. And those pieces are lacking within my community. So making sure that those opportunities that come are, are presented to my community as well. Yeah, no, I love it. I totally agree. Uh, Tawana, if you could have one job for one year, what would that job be and why? And if you could have one job for one day, what would that job be and why? It would be my current job because I love the community that I serve. It would be the principal of George Washington Carver Elementary School with my current staff because I love the family that we have created. I love my community and, um, and, and I think we still have work to do. So that is my ideal job. Got it. All right. Well, on to the next question, because you got the job you want. You know, Tawana, part of this podcast is amplifying the voices of my guests. So I'm going to pass the microphone over to you. What would you like to say to all the people that listen to this podcast? First of all, this is awesome. I believe in lifting up folks in education and making sure that we always put children first, making sure that we advocate on a on not on the state level, but on the federal level for the things that we need for schools to be successful, making sure that schools are fully funded and fully funded look different for every school within the district. So making sure that our kiddos have all the resources and tools they need to be successful and state-of-the-art schools is what I would say. Keep advocating for education. Well, Tawana, my friend, it was so great to have you on this podcast. And just so everybody knows, before the show, Tawana and I had a little pep talk, and I think she might be starting her own podcast. So once that podcast gets up and running, you got to let me know so I can uh, I can let people know 
on this podcast to go check out and listen to your podcast. And I think that is one of the beautiful things about being connected with people from all over the country is you can connect, you can learn, you can grow, you can push. And uh, we're all just better for each other when we are connected and we are sharing our voices in a big way, medium way, small way, whatever, whatever it might be. If you got something to say, people are listening. So get on the microphone, crank it up and, uh, and share your story. Anything else to, anything else to add? I can tell we, we could talk for hours and hours. I think, you know, it would not be hard for us, uh, Tawana, anything else to add before we close it out? Absolutely not. But thank you, Adam, for having me. It was a great, great opportunity to talk and catch up with you. Everyone. Thank you for listening. Thank you for all that you do. And I hope that you have an absolutely amazing day.